Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Mike G., Duncan W., Brent S., Casper J., Max C., and Joe G. Mr. Mark Chalmers is returning to the program today. Mark is the president and CEO of Energy Fuels, a U.S.-based uranium, rare earth, and vanadium-exposed production-capable business with strategic, conventional, and ISR assets centered around the White Mesa Mill facility in Utah. Energy Fuels is a uranium portfolio position held at Smith Weekly Research. Energy Fuels is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol UUUU and also on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol EFR. Mr. Chalmers, what's new? Hey, Andrew, it's been a while. Certainly has, Mark. And let's kick it off here. Opening comments on uranium, rare earths, and the vanadium markets here. Let's start with uranium. Well, a lot's happened since we talked last. Um, Certainly, the interest in uranium and the focus on nuclear power to reduce carbon emissions has gotten to become even more acute than it was even a few months ago. I think the world is realizing that, you know, to to reduce carbon emissions, you got to have nuclear in the mix, and that's echoing not through just North America, but in Europe and certainly in Asia and China. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, price uranium. Uh, keeps going up. It's been bouncing around a bit in the 40s, but uh, it's getting to the point to where you know, once it sort of breaks through that $50 uh, a pound range and people can secure contracts, uh, $50 plus, it starts getting very interesting. So yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to see the interest. Certainly this uh, you know purchasing of uranium by groups like Sprott and the Sput you know, Initiative and others, including Kazanoprom, as certainly, um, you know, putting the, the spotlight on uranium once again. So, you know, it appears that, uh, you know, all these fundamentals are kind of converging on the uranium space in a positive way. And how about uh, rare earths? Not a lot different from the uranium. I mean, think that, you know, every anything that can reduce carbon emissions, uh, improve uh, the ability for electrification, uh, energy efficiency, um, same thing, uh, getting a lot of spotlights on it, you know, dependency on China and, and certainly with, with uranium products, dependency on Russia and Kazakhstan, uh, you know, it all seems to be happening on these critical elements uh, at one time. And as you know, Andrew, I know we'll talk vanadium in a second, you know, energy fuels is different than pretty much anyone you'll talk to in the fact that we're both uranium uh, rare earths and vanadium uh, focused uh, for all good reasons. So, uh, you know, we we're, we feel very blessed that we have some of the, the hottest elements and molecules out there uh, in our portfolio. Yeah, I think it's interesting just to point out there, Mark, that it's not just, you know, a company that has these 
three components in their expiration portfolio, but this is a company that has existing assets, assets that are at various stages, and then also uh, the facilities in place. And I think that is the big difference for energy fuels here. And obviously that's being reflected as we continue through this market. How about comments on Vanadium for just a moment, and then we'll get back to energy fuels and talk uh, results. You know, Vanadium is, is really a spiky kind of metal. Uh, you know, price can move up and down quite quickly, but we have the only conventional vanadium plant in, in all of North America. Uh, we, you know, produce your, uh, vanadium in 2019, a couple million pounds. We have the ability to go back and produce vanadium fairly quickly, but it is sort of third tier from the uranium and the rare earth. So, you know, but it is something that we have the ability to do and, and few can say that, that can actually do it. So, you know, we still have, as you mentioned, you know, more assets uh, than any other group uh, in, in the United States uh, when it comes to ability to produce these critical uh, elements. And uh, it's all debt free. So we don't have any debt and they're all proven. So very important differentiator from a lot of others. So you just released a few days ago, third quarter results. Uh, how about just recap that for the audience here? You know, we've got a strong balance sheet, you know, depending on how you, you read the financials. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I think we said 133 million or in that order of, of cash, uh, working capital, including inventory or tradable securities. Uh, that was actually pretty conservative because we have a lot of uranium vanadium on our books at substantially lower prices than what the current price is. Um, after the close of the quarter, we also sold these non-core assets to uh, consolidated uranium, which is uh, somewhere in the order of around $30 million of, of cash or shares. So, uh, you know, we have very strong balance sheet. Again, uh, zero debt. Our revenues were off a bit. You know, we weren't expecting significant revenues, but there's been uh, you know, some shortfalls in some of the material, the rare earths that's been delivered from Kimor's. Uh, and that was the main reason we were off on those targets a bit. But again, very strong uh, period for us. We made substantial progress on a number of fronts. Um, so, you know, we're in uh, a very strong position, uh, fully funded to do all our activities for the next year or two without any problem from a financial perspective. More to come, I suspect, on that front, Mark. That's a good area there to transition into some of the commercial sales that have been mentioned ramp up on the rare earth side, which has been ongoing process, maybe a little bit delayed perhaps here, but maybe you can give us a progress update on that ramp up. Realistically here, when can investors expect to see some positive cash flows flow out of here? Well, that's a good question. You know, we could sell our uranium inventories today, and I think we're on the books at $23. We can get positive cash flow. We can sell the vanadium. It's on the books and $5 and something we can get positive cash flow. There's a lot of these things we can do right now or shortly, uh, depending on the price of uranium, vanadium, rare earths. But to, to really get to our goals, I mean, we're looking at hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue uh, when uh, we get the rare earths going, or uh, even on the uranium front, um, we can generate uh, positive cash flow right now based on what we have in inventory but we believe that the future is bright for uranium, vanadium, and some of these other products. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to do what we think is best for the, sh the shareholders ultimately. And, um, but that includes, uh, you know, we want to get to, you know, positive, robust cash flows 
as soon as we can. That will probably be, if we, we go for the, the longer game rather than a shorter term game, you're probably looking out three, four years, somewhere in that order. That's the reality of it. But we have the ability, we could do that. We could show that we're positive cash flowing in a quarter right now if we decided to sell our inventories currently what we have it on the books. So it sounds, Mark, to me, it looks like there's maybe some market price dependency here. And then also, what do you see on the rare earth side specifically as far as ramp up, continued contracting? When do you see that being mostly in an area where you guys can be, you know, steady state? Yeah. Well, on the rare earths, um, you know, we're currently working with Kimoras with our three-year agreement with Kimoras, which unfortunately they've been a bit short, hasn't held back our plans because we're still getting material quantities from Kimoras. I think our next run will be about five or 600 tons. Last run was about 300 tons of, of um, uh, heavy mineral sand, um, a monocyte sand. So, um, you know, we're gonna continue to kind of, you know, ramp up where when we get feed from Kimors, we're talking to everybody in the world when it comes to monazite feed for the White Mesa Mill, but but we're not talking a few hundred tons. Uh, our end game, uh, or at least to show the world that we're going to be one of the world's uh, leading producers of rare earths, is we want around 20,000 tons of monazite per year. Um, that would put us in the order of about half of a Linus, which is currently the biggest producer outside of China. And we're in uh, discussions with a number of people in that regard. We're trying to build it around the 20,000 tons. Um, that would be the front end, uh, getting the molecules to go into the, the White Mesa Mill. We're not restricted on how much we can crack and leach with the current facilities that we have uh, from a permit perspective, uh, really from a physical perspective. But the next step, which is separation, that there is no separation in, in, in anywhere in America for rare earths at commercial scale uh, is, is the limitation uh, for us um, after the crack and leach. We are shipping material to Silmet in Estonia. It's a small plant, uh, but we're successfully doing that. And um, because that's the only option in Europe that we have available to us right now. And um, so what our plans are is number one, show the world that we're building up the supply of monazite feed for the mill so people know that we have the elements going in the mill or able to go in the mill follow that with uh, a rapid fast track of uh, design and permitting and building of the separation plant at white mesa and then we have that integration through secured elements crack leach and separation that at 20,000 tons of monazite feed at these high grades we're talking about is several hundred million dollars a year of revenue, several hundred million dollars per year. We're also going to look and currently looking at the metals and alloys. We're less advanced there because that's the next step after separations. So we're going for a big game here. We're focusing on a big win here. And we do believe that once we secure the monazite supplies that I'm talking about in sort of that order uh, of magnitude that I'm talking about, investors will get it and will break from the uranium peer group that we're currently trading in. So um, yeah, big plans, um, but we're, and we'll, we'll go ahead and, and realize revenue when we think the time's right, but we're going for uh, a company that has you know, securing all the pieces I just mentioned, 
uh, you know, few hundred million dollars per year of revenue is what our goal is. Yeah, Mark, some of those revenue streams, I think, make sense for helping finance and move uh, some of these initiatives forward as well. Maybe not everything, but certainly some of it. And then back to the tonnage, do you expect, would it be you know, reasonable to assume that sometime within the next year or so, 2022, that there would be possibly another agreement or two in place for maybe a couple thousand tons per year? What do you see just looking forward? Do you think it's likely to assume that at this point? Well, yeah, it's my goal that in the in the next few months that you know we start showing the market that we're building this book of elements, um, uh, and it's not just building a book of elements; it's endorsement from various other um, either existing rare earth producers or or not rare earth but heavy mineral sand producers uh, or wannabe uh, heavy mineral sand producers. Um, and I think that when the market sees that we've established sort of this 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 mine mill relationship because you know that's what we don't have mountain pass has a mine linus has a mine we've got to show that we have these secured supplies of heavy mineral sands that build us up to that in the order of 20,000 tons per year of monazite feet now we're not going to be happy with just 20,000 over time we will build it up from there but we want to show that we will be a material world producer having elements in front of us having the ability to crack and leach which we've proven um, at commercial scale small commercial scale and moving on to separate products i mean linus does uh separations uh so that would put us up at the same sort of you know level of value add that linus has and and that's what the world wants to see in the rare earth space that people can get through at least separations and have the ability to have scale and also be low cost in the world of rare earths. So it's an aggressive plan, you know, with our strong balance sheet, with our advantage of existing facilities and permits on many aspects of, of what we're doing. Uh, you know, we think we're, um, you know, certainly replicating the China plan quicker than others can. Um, and the difference is, is that, you know, we're, we're not in China, you know, we're, we're doing this or trying to do this uh, completely independent of China. Mark, talk about some of the competitors. I mean, there's not that many companies that I'm aware of that have, you know, the mining component processing separation. You know, Energy Fuels has that processing and separation part, but are there any other companies besides Linus that you can mention that are a competitor or a company that has this? Because it's, no pun intended, it's pretty rare. It is rare. And uh, look, the the projections are showing, depending on which projections you, you look at, that the ability to produce and, and make these rare earth products is going to have to increase four to five fold in the next 10 years. So I just want to make sure that people understand that we're going to need rare earths from everybody who can legitimately produce rare earths, both in China, uh, in the United States, Europe, Australia, uh, Africa. Uh, to meet the demand for rare earths. When you look at what we're doing, our plan is different from others. I mean, it's similar to what China's doing with monazite sands uh, in China. You know, most others are looking at, you know, they have a mine and they plan to produce uh, from the mine and then go through processing. But we believe that, they're, you know, they're really, other than China, uh, nobody really has. I mean, the Saskatchewan Research Council is looking at monazite sands as well. 
But to look at the scale that we're looking at for monazite sands, um, you know, it's a it's very rare, as you as you indicated. So uh, I mean, certainly MP has big plans. Um, Texas for Earth has big plans. But but you know, a lot of these guys are are looking at uh, basinite, and and um, that's different than the monazite. Um, but when you look at Linus is is a monazite mine, but it's not monazite sands. You know, you look at people like uh, Aluka, you know, they've got uh, monazite sands, you know, perhaps just a few others. So, yeah, there, there's a scarcity in people that are actually able to do something right now. You know, when you look at in North America, the fact that we can at least crack and leach and make a carbonate that's ready for separation, uh, you know, we're further advanced than anybody else in all of North America and pretty much the world when it comes to monazite sands uh outside of china so you know i think we've got this substantial advantage for our plan the monocyte sands being able to deal with the radionuclides recover the uranium which is a problem for everybody else potentially recover the thorium uh, or thorium products which are a problem for everybody else uh, you know those are all uh value adds for us or potential value adds which again i think is really exciting Martin, just before we swap over here to uranium, uh, just one other thing, separation. What do you think the time frame is on that as far as, you know, outfitting White Mesa? What do we have, three to four years on that uh, initiative? Yeah, we can move faster than others, but yeah, realistically, you're looking at three to four years. Um, we're doing some scoping work with Carristers out of France right now. Uh, we're, we're, we're ramping that up as we speak. Um, we'll have to submit you know, our plans to the state of Utah. Uh, you know, there's a number of aspects we think will be no problem with regard to permits. I mean, we can crack and leach without any new permits, but you know, it'd be a very major modernization expansion of the mill. So, you know, we've got to really put together uh, on paper what those plans are in details. Uh, we hope to be submitting that within a year uh, and, and we hope to submit it perhaps in parcels so the state can approve, you know, sort of piece by piece as we go forward. But yeah, realistically, uh, to get through that process and turn dirt on the site, you're looking at three to four years to get that uh, infrastructure in place so we can do the full integration through oxides. But it doesn't limit the amount of carbonate that we can produce, because as I said, we've got the approvals to do that. Um, and we can we can uprate that in uh, Estonia with with uh, with Silmet or Neo at a certain level, and it doesn't also mean that we can't perhaps make carbonate for sale to others uh, in the world. So you know we do have sort of an intermediate step. It's not going to be you know hundreds of millions of dollars, but it is an intermediate step that continually proves uh, the kind of scale that we're looking for. That sounds good, and given where the market cap is, the uh, the financing capex gets. Uh easier as we move here. So uh, good on you for moving that in the right direction. On the uranium, Mark, uh, just a few questions here. Regarding the uranium production, when that occurs, which I suspect, uh, you know, the company still wants to see some prices that are higher. Do you guys have a commitment to remain unhedged? No, look, we want to build a book of contracts that that um, make sense for us. Um, you know, we, we will uh, seek contracts uh, at a certain level. Uh, one of the things that's unique about the properties we have is we can kind of uh, build it like Lego 
in in blocks you know we can build them in say 500,000 pound blocks so you know with 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 multiple projects you know we can we can get a contract for for 500,000 pounds say um and produce a million or get uh you know a million pounds of contracts and and, and produce a million and a half or two million pounds we do want to have uh some open market attributes we're not going to contract everything but to get kind of the flywheel going to go back in production we want a certain level of uh contracts under our belt now having around 700,000 pounds of uranium in inventory um, that we produced you know most people have uranium and you ask them well how much did they produce and they'll say none of it they bought all of it we produce all of our uranium you know we can kind of mix in those inventories um, as prudent uh, with a long-term contract uh, with getting started um, I mean we haven't uh, basically valued on our books for $23 or something a pound um, so you know as I said you know if you sell it at 50 you know you're going to have you know getting close to a $30 profit on that material so we can mix and match um, you know we've got um, quite substantial inventories at the mill right now with some of our cleanup activities that we've done in New Mexico, alternate feed uh, that we've received over the last couple of years, or starting up Pinion Plain Mine, uh, or Alta Mesa or Nichols Ranch. So we've got a lot of pieces um, and arrows in our quiver on how we get back into uranium production, and far more arrows in our quiver than others. And I would just point out that you guys uh, haven't been a company that's purchased material on the market and that you have a pretty nice inventory as compared to others. Mark, with regards to U.S. uranium, the U.S. Uh, uranium reserve, Buy American, et cetera, do you think U.S. utilities care to buy American? Not that it's really a requirement to buy local or buy American. It's not mandated, if you will. Do you see that they will look to buy locally? And, and how is energy fuels doing with that relationship post 232 look we've always had good relationships with the utilities because utilities know that energy fuels are doers they're not promoters um yeah it you know if anyone wants to dwell on the 232 relationships you know i i think that's you know water under the bridge you know the reserve is still out there it's appropriated uh, it's moved way slower than I ever thought. I never thought that you could have funds appropriated on a bipartisan basis and we'd still be waiting to figure out how they spend that money. But it still is an important component for the United States going forward, um, you know, being the largest consumer of uranium products, nuclear products in the world, or at least at this point in time. So when you look at the plans, uh, even with the Biden administration, uh, it's still uh, very strong supporters of nuclear and particularly the small modular reactors. You're gonna need feed for those reactors. Uh, and it still doesn't make any sense to get that feed from foreign countries. But you know we're kind of in an interesting point now because the price of uranium has gone up you know, materially since uh, you know, the 232 days. And we're getting very close to a strike rate where some of the best um, projects in the United States can start up or have a potential to start up um, in the not too distant future. So things are changing quickly, uh, Andrew, and very dynamically. But I think when you look at the focus on reducing carbon emissions, 
uranium and nuclear in a very good spot right now. The best spot has been in probably for decades. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the U.S. at this point, I, I think the U.S. is more accelerating towards the bad side of things and is fast when it has to do with bad initiatives, Mark. But it seems very slow when it comes to good initiatives. And I think good initiatives uh, come back a little bit to the U U.S. uranium reserve. The contracting component of that, certainly energy fuels would be in a fantastic position for proposals there and probably be uh, one of the first awards, if not the first. But, you know, when it comes to things like nuclear, it's behind, uh, you know, Russia, China, as you know, and I know very well, uh, there's lots of others that are way ahead of the game and the U.S. needs to play catch up. And the only way to play catch up is to bring in good people, bring in good policies and bring in capital. And, uh, you know, we know they can print money to bad initiatives, but why not print some good money here? Uh, that's the way I would say it. How about some of the uranium initiatives, some of the restarts, potentially some of the preparation work, Mark, with you guys and some of your stated costs across some of your various projects, you know, conventional ISR, do you think at this point you guys have anything to prove to potential buyers as far as, you know, showing that production, as far as getting closer to restart ready, or would you just rather wait until the price is in a very, very comfortable position before even lifting a finger? We're already um, taking steps to, to be more ready to go back into production at our ISR facilities and at Pinion Plain and even um, uh, at uh, some of our uranium vanadium mines uh, that are close to the mill. So um, I, don't, I don't think we have a lot to prove uh, because we've already proven ourselves. I mean, there's a lot of others, though, that do have a lot to prove that haven't proven themselves. I mean, we've got you know, decades of experience. And um, Andrew, as you know, I mean, not just in the United States, I produce uranium uh, with Langer Heinrich, with Kayla Kara, with Beverly uh, in Australia, and in, in um, Kazakhstan with like Kerosan 1, Kerosan 2, where I was an advisor for Marabini. So yeah, I don't feel I have to prove anything to anyone. We know what we're doing. You know, we are going to, you know, take the prudent steps that we need to take. Um, you know, we will, uh, you know, build at least a partial book with contracts, as I said, um, when we hire, start rehiring. And, and we are hiring right now um, because the, the activity level is going up. But when we hire, uh, you know, 40 or 50 people to go back into production at a mine or two, uh, you know, I want to have, uh, give them some security that it's going to be a multi-year opportunity for them to come back to work for us if they're they're former workers or they're new workers. So we wanna provide some runway for, um, for everyone, the company, for the utilities, um, and we don't wanna just do it on a, on a spike uh, of a month or two of a uranium price. Well, Mark, when that time comes, make sure you send me an application. I'd like to take a look over it. Talk about uh, mergers and acquisitions here, Mark. Uh, you recently did a deal with Consolidated Uranium, uh, recently closed. Do you remain available for considering deals with regards to energy fuels assets, but also if you were looking for deals to bring under the EFR umbrella, what are you looking for at this point? Because you, you seem to have most of it. Yeah, I mean, we'll always look at every opportunity on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, you know, and, I, and, and a lot of people are asking me, you know, are you a uranium company? Are you a rare earth company? And and you know, I've been producing uranium for 45 years, so I'll always be a uranium producer and uranium company. Um, but right now with, um, 
with our shareholders, we have to go for where is the best value. And I think the one thing that is really exciting about the rare earths is I believe we can be like a lower quartile producer of rare earths uh, in due course. When we get the units together and we have the ability to do separation, uh, when you look at uranium production um, in the United States and actually even in North America, uh, you know, you tend to be in the higher quartiles, okay, third, fourth quartile. So, you know, I have to always, you know, ask myself, where should I spend my time? And, you know, we do have a lot of our team focus on just the uranium, but we do have a lot of our team focus on the rare earths. And I think that we can be, um, you know, in the in the, the, the upper echelons of, of producers of rare earths for the world at low cost. And I think we can be the largest producer of uranium in the United States, but on uranium front, we're not gonna compete with Kazakhstan, okay? So we gotta be realistic on where we're trying to position ourselves. But what we, what we provide as an investment is we provide a low carbon uh, electrification uh, super machine, uh, you know, when, when we go forward because we can cover both of those areas uh, very effectively. And the main reason we can we can advance quicker with rare earths is we can recover the uranium from the monazite streams. So they fit together perfectly. And for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening, market cap company stands at about 1.6 billion USD. What would you say to them about considering energy fuels at this price point? I would say that from a uranium uh, perspective, we trade with our uranium peers. I mean, if you look at some of the other uraniums, they're also billion dollar companies. But when you look at us as a uranium uh, company plus a rare earth company, I would say look at Linus at 5 billion, look at MP at 6 billion, and then look at the 1.5 or 1.6 billion um, accordingly. It is our goal if we become a material world supplier or rare earths to become multi-billion dollar company because we believe there's probably at this moment, I believe there's more lift in the rare earth business than there is in the uranium business, even though the uranium business looks like it's on a complete terror, and it is, for all the right reasons, the fundamentals look like they're they're sorting out. But on the rare earth front, that is where our biggest growth opportunity is in terms of the market capitalization of our company. Look at the people ahead of us and watch the steps that we make and watch as we build the book on the bonazite feed in the front end and our movements on the separation front for full integration multi-billion dollars. So we are focused on becoming a three, four, five, six billion dollar company in time. Won't happen in a day, but watch this case unfold. While at the same time, maintaining and operating our uranium properties when we get just a bit more in the uranium prices, uh, hopefully with some contracts to underpin those activities as well. And the best way for investors to reach out to the company? Number one, uh, you know, we've got shows like yours, Andrew. We routinely, I'm doing videos pretty much weekly. You know, on our website, we update our corporate presentation pretty much monthly. We've got our quarterly conference calls. 
um, you know, a number of people just call me just because they they um, they want to have a chat and talk to me directly. So uh, I try to reach out to people that are interested in the story. My time is very short now because we're very busy with all the activities that we have. But um, you know, we're still a company that's that we we believe is uh, got faces to it, and we're very willing to talk to people about the story and the opportunities uh, as unfold. Well, Mark, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the program and uh, keep up the efforts. Look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you, Andrew. It's always a pleasure.